Uh, This evening we have two readings. Uh, The first is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 5, starting at verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Let's now turn to our second reading, which is Hebrews chapter 4, starting at verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us make, therefore, every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. This is God's word. Carrie, thank you. Thank you for reading that. I actually always find Hebrews 4 a slightly tricky passage to read because of its repetitive uh, language. So uh, thank you for bringing us that. Although we're spending most of our time in Deuteronomy 5, which I know will be an enormous relief to most of you because you've been wondering what to do with your oxen for ages. Most of you are pretty good with donkeys, but ox, they're tricky, aren't they? Let's, uh, Let's pray, and then we'll look at this together. Our great God and Father, thank you for your timeless word and the truth that you speak today. Uh, Father, we're not in the land of Canaan and we don't have slaves or oxen or donkeys. But Father, help us understand uh, and then to live out, obey you in your word, we pray. We ask it for our good and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, sort of 
London default sort of greeting is, uh, hi, how are you? And uh, what's the most common response? Yeah, that's right, most people go, mm-hmm. and, um, and mumble inaudibly. No, I don't know, I don't know what the uh, uh, tired, fine, busy, I think, came from me, from the, from the front row. Uh, so just like temperamental as well, whether you're upbeat or not. But um, how are you? Yeah, fine. Uh, it's probably, I don't know, it's probably the most common, isn't it? Sort of go away. Um, uh, it's just sort of fine, leave me alone. Uh, how are you? Yeah, tired, yeah, busy. Uh, those, those would not be uncommon, I think. Wonderfully tonight, we come to the fourth commandment. And for many of us, well, we'll probably need to hear different things and we'll work our way through the scriptures thinking about it. But for many of us, we need to hear it in quite a simple way, which is take a day off. It's not perhaps the primary application when you get to the New Testament. But it may be the one that many of us need to hear even if it's a secondary one. The last few years have seen an extraordinary rise in uh, mental health-related illness, particularly in the city. I was reading uh, uh, last week, the Corporation of London, you know, which sort of runs the city, the government of the city, uh, they're giving now 20 million a year to mental health charities to promote well-being. Uh, when the Corporation of London says, oops, we've got a problem here, we need, we need to help people with their mental health and, and, and well-being because too many people are... Uh, exhausted and stressed, when the corporation recognizes that, which is not a benevolent, you know, it is kind of in it for the money, um, well, there probably is a problem in the city. Not just work, though. I read an article in The Guardian a little while ago with uh, a specialist doctor who specializes in exhaustion, ME-type things. He, uh, was, the article was titled, Millions of People at the End of Their Tether. And uh, so the doctor uh, they interviewed, he, uh, he says, yeah, I, I've uh, come up with a new term. I see hundreds of patients every year suffering with exhaustion. And so the medical term I use now is, they're spent. Which doesn't sound very medical to me. Uh, they're just exhausted. His observation, if you put a human being in a modern city, add computers, mobile phones, credit cards, neon lights, 24-hour shopping, What do you expect? We are spent, exhausted, because our modern lifestyle has removed us from nature. We've been divorced, become divorced from its rhythms and cycles. Interviewer says, question to Dr. Lippmann, uh, what is our modern lifestyle? His response, we are slaves. Slaves to what? We are slaves to work and the relentless consumption of media. We are an enslaved culture. And that's why people are spent. Those are secular observations. I was talking to someone this morning. Uh, she just come back from Davos. She runs a mental health charity. And uh, uh, said just had a stream of, you know what Davos is. It's the great and the good, not the good. Uh, it's the wealthy. It's not even the great, is it? It's the wealthy. Uh, if you've come from Davos, many blessings upon you. But... Um, <laughs> It was extraordinary having a stream of people. They had a little stand. I can't name names, but world leaders, wives of world leaders, just desperate. What do they want to do? They just wanted to sit and be quiet. 
Dr. Lippmann would say, they're spent. And of course, all sorts of modern uh, answers to this uh, problem, or what are we going to do, uh, uh, solutions, etc. Or, or you could go back a few thousand years to Deuteronomy chapter 5, or Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, and God would say, work six days, and then one day a week, don't work. Brilliant. How about that? Revolutionary. Well, it was back then. And it might be today as well. If you're joining us tonight, then we're in the 10 words. That's how Deuteronomy calls them, the, the 10 commandments, uh, as I guess they're most often referred to. Uh, and we've called the series, I don't know if it's maybe not there, but rules to keep us free, because that's what they are. They're commands, don't do this, do do this. They are commands, but they're very broad. I mean, they're not detailed. The detail comes after in the Old Testament law. These are rules to keep us free. You might think of them a little bit like uh, they're the lines on a tennis court. You can play tennis without lines. You can have sort of jumpers on the corners, but it's not as good. Uh, if you're playing someone competitively, you probably have an argument. Was that in or out? It was in. Well, how, I don't know. Or you play with a child and they just smack the thing as far as they can and go, oh, I win. Yeah, you, the rules. Let's talk them through again. Um, it's more fun when you've got the lines. You can have a more realistic game, a more fun game. There's freedom within the lines. It works better that way. You have fewer arguments that way. Yeah, yeah, the Ten Commandments. They're, they're rules that give us freedom. We operate within these very broad uh, instructions that the Lord gives us. And this fourth commandment is very liberating. Now, of course, just tangentially before we really get in, uh, Christians take it in different ways. So uh, across the church, people who I would love dearly view the fourth commandment differently. So we've got to do a little bit of work, and in one sense, you have to make up your own minds. But uh, you go from those that are very strict in their observance, the sort of uh, Eric Little, chariots of fire type, I won't run on the Sabbath day, he called that Sunday. Uh, I won't run on a Sunday, even though I, I can win Olympic gold medal, I won't run on that day, I just won't, because God says, don't do any work, which would include running, and so I won't do that. Uh, that's sort of one end of the spectrum, I guess. Uh, at the other end, there'll be those who just say, oh, no, in the New Testament, you, you keep the Sabbath by becoming a Christian. That's all it means. And so days are neither here nor there. Uh, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, one day, doesn't, doesn't matter. It's neither here nor there. You just keep the fourth commandment by trusting in Jesus. So that's, broadly speaking, would be the, the, the two poles uh, either end. And just as we begin, I want to say, I, I think this is a sort of issue that Paul covers in Romans, particularly 14, 15, where he would say, look, Christians, will, uh, believers will have different views on sacred days. Just bear with one another. Don't fall out over that. So it's not an issue you'd ever want to divide with someone on, even though you've got to make up your own mind. We approach this one slightly differently tonight. We, we, we've been looking at them in the book of Deuteronomy. You can ask me why, but um, uh, but with the, the fourth commandment, it's the only one that is significantly different between how they first appear in Exodus and how they subsequently appear here in Deuteronomy chapter five. So we'll have to uh, look at both of them. In fact, we're going to look at three places, as you can see from the sheet. Uh, we're going to stop in three places biblically and then draw all our conclusions at the end. So if you think you say what, say what, say what, it all comes at the end, all right, just so you know. So we look at it this way, we go to Exodus 20 and say, remember creation, 
Deuteronomy 5, remember redemption. Then Hebrews 4, look forwards to rest. Okay. Remember creation, remember redemption, look forward to rest. Let's look at uh, Exodus chapter 20. And uh, so you can compare, look, I've put it on the sheets. You may need your glasses uh, to read it, uh, or you may be younger than me. But uh, you can see it's slightly different. Let me read Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Uh, sorry, we probably maybe define at that point. Sabbath, uh, it just means rest. It's just a, it's, it comes from a, a verb in Hebrew, Shabbat, rest, cease, stop. So it would kind of be better, well, certainly easier. We'd get it more obviously, I think, if everywhere the Old Testament is translated Sabbath, it just said the word rest day. That would make good sense to us. But anyway, Sabbath, rest. Uh, and keep it as holy. That just means different, of course. Distinct. Not ordinary, not common. Uh, somewhat eccentrically at home, I have a Sabbath alarm clock. That is a Sunday alarm clock. Monday to Friday in our household, the alarm clock goes at 6.30 uh, when we all get up. Uh, no alarm clock on Saturday, thank you very much. You can stuff that. Um, that's the big duvet day. Um, but Sunday, don't have to get up at 6.30, got a little extra half hour till 7, magic. Um, and so I just, of course, I could change my alarm clock. That would be a very sensible and normal human thing to do, but I have two um, because we just got an excess, so, and I can't be bothered to change them. So I have a holy alarm clock <laughs> because it's different, distinct. It only comes out of the drawer on Saturday night. Uh, and an ordinary alarm clock, okay? Holy, different, distinct, set apart. That's what it means. So remember the rest day. Observe the rest day by keeping it differently. Uh, still in Exodus 20. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you should not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Pause. There's a positive and a negative there. Do you see that? So the seventh day, positively, it's a Sabbath to the Lord. It's a positive statement. And negatively, don't work. Actually, only this and the... Only this and the next commandment, honoring your parents, are framed positively. All the others are do not, do not, do not, do not. But this is a positive one. Honor it. Keep it. Keep it for the Lord. Because in the Old Testament, certainly, the, the Sabbath is presented as a day of feasting, enjoyment. You celebrate God. It's meant, Isaiah 58, to be a delight to you. Isaiah, why are you depriving yourself of a day of delight? So it's positively for the Lord. Negatively, quite straightforward, don't work. Just don't do it. Stop your labors. Uh, why not? Uh, why don't work and why have it to the Lord? Verse 11 of Exodus 20. For because in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That he is quoting, of course, from Genesis now, the Lord then, back in the book of Genesis, blessed the rest, the rest day, the Sabbath day, and made it holy. A key question in what you're going to do about the Sabbath and how you take it is, is it uh, woven into the fabric of creation in Genesis 1 and 2 in the same way that work is and marriage is? Is it sort of 
just woven into the fabric of God's created world? For my money, yes, is the answer to that. And that will determine how you take it going forward. You see, the Sabbath is not merely part of the laws given at Mount Sinai, Exodus 20, repeat at Deuteronomy 5. Because even before the Israelites get to Exodus 20 and receive the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, they're observing the Sabbath. They're told, Exodus 16, when you collect bread in the mornings, do it six days a week, but don't collect any on the Sabbath. And on Friday, there'll be double the amount, collect double the amount. So they're still observing it then. And actually, even creation sort of needs it, we're told. Exodus 23, God says, you know, your agriculture, uh, once every seven years, you need to let a field lie fallow. Not all your land, but just take it in turns and rotate the fields around. What? Every field needs a rest every seven years. Now, that's sort of good farming. It allows the nutrients to, uh, to grow. But God is saying, this rest I'm imposing upon you or telling you, as a bless, giving you as a blessing to you, it's sort of just the whole planet needs that sort of sense to it. This world is not just relentless, relentless, relentless. And it's just one of those things, sort of stepping sideways from the scriptures. It's kind of weird that globally all cultures run to a seven-day week. And there's no good reason. A day, uh, that's just how long the earth takes to spin, isn't it? So there's sort of nature reason for that. A month, well, that's the moon, isn't it, going round. A year, how long do we take to go around the sun? All those are sort of fixed by nature. A week, seven days. There's no scientific natural reason at all. And yet every culture runs seven days across the world. Why is that? Some have tried to resist. So uh, uh, French Revolution, um, they tried to have a 10-day week and they kept going for a while. They had a 10-day week metric. They love their metrics uh, in France. And uh, they went for 12 years until they just go, it's just not working. This is hopeless. Uh, no one runs this way. Uh, Russia, Russian Revolution, they, they thought, this is random, seven, and you get, you get some time left over. Let's have a five-day week, and we'll have 73 five-day weeks, and that'll fit. Uh, and they kept going for about 11 years before they gave up and said, this is hopeless, and it just doesn't work. Seven days, it just works. Why is that? Well, I think Genesis 2 would say that's how God has wired the world. It just works that way, because it's how he set it up. Now, one thing to clarify, uh, uh, which comes out from here in uh, God resting on the seventh day. The Sabbath, or get to it if you're going to take it, but uh, the, the seventh day of the week, it's not just given. So you work six days, have a tea break for a day, and then you're re-energized to work again. Uh, I'm sure your employers would view it that way and, and like to view it that way. But that's not how the Bible reads it. Because it's not in Genesis 2 that God says, I've got to make the world, got to make the world, got to make the world. Makes it in six days, has a rest. Whew, that was exhausting. And then on the eighth day, got to make the world, got to make the world, got to make the world. It's not that God is going round and round in a cycle. Six days work, one day off. Six days work, one day off. In the task of creation, he does it in six days and then he rests. And there is no eighth day. 
The point being that the, the Sabbath, the seventh, the rest, is completion. It's the culmination. It's the destination. It's the finale. His work is done, complete, climax. The whole of the week builds up to the Sabbath day in Genesis 2. And so when he says, remember creation and don't work the seventh day, it is because the seventh day, it's meant to be like a window through which we look into eternity and say, we're not merely made for this world. We're made, I see the Lord. I'm spending time thinking about him. I'm made for him. And I'm made for permanent rest with him. And if you're Jew in the Old Testament, you may not understand everything that means. But it's a window into eternity. When we stop working one day a week, we're saying, I'm a creature made by God. And there is more to life in this world than just work, just accumulation of stuff. I'm a creature. I'm dependent upon my creator. And so I stop for a day to remember that. I remember that he's made me for more than this world. I enjoyed one little description. The Sabbath day, it's a palace in time. It's different. A refusal to take a day off, a refusal to take, to stop and take a Sabbath is, I don't need the Lord. I, I deny the fact that I'm a creature made by my creator. I can do it all myself. I'm just going to keep on chugging and chugging and chugging. I deny that I was made for more than this world. This world, here and now, nothing above me. No eternity to look forward to. This world is all there is. And so Exodus 20, remember creation. You were made for more than this world. You were made to be with the Lord. Deuteronomy 5 then. That's remember creation uh, uh, in uh, Exodus 20. Deuteronomy 5. We can probably pick up the pace a little bit here. Remember redemption. You get to Deuteronomy 5 and there are two differences. It's, it's, it's the, only, uh, the only one of the commandments that has significant differences and there are two. Um, first, there's an extra emphasis upon servants resting. So Deuteronomy 5, let me read verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you should do no, not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant nor your ox, your donkey or any of your animals nor your any foreigner residing in your towns so that your male and female servants may rest. Okay, there's just a little extra emphasis there in verse 14. Everyone must Rest. There's a special emphasis upon servants resting. That's one difference. And the second one is the reason that you're meant to celebrate it. Verse 15. Not remember that God created in seven days, but verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You can see, I've scribbled it on the sheets uh, for you. It's the same word, verse 13 and 15. God is trying to, I don't know why it's not translated the same. It's very annoying. But six days you shall slave and do all your work. Verse 15, remember you were slaves in Egypt 
that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand. The point is, when you were back in Egypt, they didn't give you a day off because you were slaves. Now I've rescued you, you don't live like slaves. Why would you do that? I've rescued you for better than that. Why would you go back to slavery? Don't do that. Don't enslave yourself to work. And don't compel others to do so either. Don't demand that others slave away. Deuteronomy just repeatedly applies this sort of principle to others. You've been rescued, so be kind to others. You've been rescued, remember that. Be kind to others as well. So the Sabbath in Deuteronomy is a sign of being redeemed, rescued from slavery, physical slavery. Part of that, of course, is it's, it's just pointing beyond itself all the time. So it's a partial relief of the curse of Genesis 3. You know your Bible is Genesis chapter 3, God curses work. and says from this point onwards, work will be hard. There'll be thistles and thorns. So yeah, work is a good thing, and we enjoy work, but there's frustration, and it doesn't quite go as we want it to. And the Sabbath is, let's just step away from work and its frustrations. Let me just relieve you a little bit from the curse. It's good, isn't it? It's good when you don't have to wrestle. It's good when things aren't going wrong with work. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be like this in the future, but much better. It's always just pointing beyond itself. So there's a time of rest that Deuteronomy is talking about. Not so obvious in, in the commandment itself, but uh, it's very obvious in the rest of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, it, it, rest is both a time. Don't you work on the Sabbath day? Remember, it's a, it's a window into eternity. But it also talks of a place. So rest in the Old Testament, time, and a place, the promised land, where you'll be free from uh, any enemies invading you, uh, free from any threats, free that you never need worry that your work will be done in vain and someone will snatch it away it's both a time and a place again it's just pointing beyond itself do you remember Israelites there was a time you weren't there but there was a time back in paradise in the garden of Eden when you didn't fear anything and all your labor was good and never went wrong and when you think rest Israel Stop work on a Sabbath so there's no frustrations in your work. And I'm going to put you in a land of rest. Again, you won't fear anything. It's just reminding you what life was like in the Garden of Eden, pointing forward to what it will be like in paradise. So Deuteronomy 5 really is remember redemption. You've been redeemed, saved for the Lord. So don't slave away, trust him. And again, for an Israelite then, say, I'm not taking a Sabbath, is I I deny that God has rescued me. I deny that I'm bought out of slavery for him. So Exodus 20, don't deny the Sabbath, because then you're saying, I I I don't need God. I'm I'm my own man. I'm not just made by him. Uh, Deuteronomy 5, don't deny he saved you, that you belong to him. Remember creation, remember redemption. That's what you're doing when you keep the Sabbath day. Last place to turn, Hebrews 4. And you may want to turn physically to it uh, in the scriptures. Back on page 1203. 
you get to the pages of the New Testament, and what are you meant to do with rest and the Sabbath? Well, the New Testament becomes explicitly clear that the, the, the Sabbath in the, in the Old Testament, it was a visual aid. It was meant to get people thinking a certain pattern. So as Paul can say, I've scribbled it down there in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, he'd say, look, don't let anyone judge you with regard to a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come in Christ. So this time off, this time of rest, it was always meant to point forward to what you would gain in Jesus Christ. Or, or the passage which has most detail in it is um, Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4. We've only just read uh, a little part of it. But in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, Moses quotes, excuse me, the writer quotes Moses in Psalm 95. It's a complicated passage. Let me try and simplify it. In the Old Testament, rest is a time, Sabbath, Saturday and a place, Canaan, promised land. Here in Hebrews 3 and 4, the writer says very clearly, rest in the New Testament, it's a place, heaven. And it's a status belonging to Jesus Christ. Let me just read um, perhaps uh, verses 8 to 11 again. His argument is that the rest in the Old Testament was only ever pointing forward, verse 8. If Joshua had given rest, God would not have spoken later in Psalm 95 about another day of rest. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Pause. When you become a Christian, you rest from your works. You say, I will never get to heaven by my own labors. We'll sing in a moment, Rock of Ages. Not the labors of my hands could achieve the Lord's commands. You can't do it yourself. The Christian is one who says, I will never merit your acceptance, Lord. I will never merit a place in heaven. My only hope is to trust Jesus. Well, let me try and put it in these terms, see if this works. This week, uh, I wasn't super, I was, I was a bit unwell this week. So Tuesday, um, Tuesday lunchtime was all right, speaking Tuesday lunchtime. Tuesday afternoon, staff meeting, mm, I started to feel, oh my goodness, I'm going down, 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 down. Starting to feel very rough. Went to bed about eight o'clock on uh, uh, Tuesday night thinking, oh, I'm rough. Uh, woke Wednesday morning, alarm went, not special alarm, normal alarm. Um, alarm went 6.30 and thought, uh-oh, uh-oh, I am not right, you know, don't get sweaty, etc., etc. Uh, sweaty, achy, uh -oh, a bit viral. Um, this is not so good. Uh, and then just felt very stressed. That, oh no, I've got so much I need to get done. Uh, I've got a, uh, this, a meeting uh, this afternoon. I'm meant to be chairing a meeting this morning. I'm meant to be meeting someone else tomorrow afternoon. I've got to get a sermon written Thursday morning uh, and, uh, to finish it off. And then I've got Friday morning for that. And Thursday and Friday, Thursday evening, I've got PTA. Uh, Friday, I've got to meet this guy. I just thought, oh, and I'm sick. And oh, uh, no, come on, you've got to get it done. Uh, and it was just, you know, you know that feeling, think, oh, God, how am I going to? And then I thought, stuff it and rang one or two people. And someone else said, yeah, I can take that meeting. I'll chair it for you on Wednesday morning. Wednesday afternoon, doesn't matter. We can do it next week. Thursday, Phil, yeah, I'll take PTS. Thank you very much. Friday, what about that meeting? No, it can wait. And I went from sort of 
you know, I'm going to do it all. I just don't know what happened. My family will just be ignored for the next week. Um, and I'll make myself sick, but I've got to get it done. I've got to get it through. That sort of sentiment to, oh, brilliant. I've just th thrown all this on into other people. <laughs> Good night. And uh, by about nine o'clock, I went back to sleep and slept for about 24 hours and then felt quite a lot better. Uh, at the end of it, I cast my burdens upon other members of staff, God bless them, and um, felt enormous relief for doing so. I'd reached the point of, I, I can't do this without sort of making everything much, much worse. I just can't do it this week. It's beyond me this week. I'm too sick this week. I'll throw these burdens on other people. Ah, oh, excellent. Now everything gets done and I'm delighted. Much better solution. And the Christian is one who just does that, says, I despair, I'm, I can't. I can't earn my way into heaven. I can't obey God's laws and commands perfectly. I can't do it. I'll just cast all my burdens onto Jesus. I'll say, Jesus, I've got so much wrong. Can you pay for that? And he says, yeah. And I'll never be good enough. And he says, take my goodness, take my righteousness. Oh, fantastic. That's rest. Jesus would say, Matthew 11, come to me, all who are weary and heavy, heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. It's a gift. That's exactly what the writer is talking about here. Verse 10. That's what you can get that status now. Anyone who enters God rests. God's rest also rests from their works. It's a status. Coming a Christian means you come to rest. But it is also a place. And so he says, verse 11, let us... Therefore, make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Just as in the Old Testament, the Israelites, they wandered through the wilderness until they reached the promised land of Canaan. Christians, they wander through this life until they reach the promised land of heaven. That is ultimately our place of rest. It's what we're looking forward to. There's a status and there's a place. Only in heaven will we ultimately find rest. That's when our labors are completely over. And we perfectly enjoy the Lord. Remember creation, remember redemption, look forward to rest. Okay, let me try and summarize then four practical things to do. Okay, the first two are the most important, the other, the three and four are sort of applications of one and two. First, first application of the fourth commandment, here it is become a Christian. It's quite straightforward. Become a Christian. That's how you keep the fourth commandment, fundamentally. Remember, in the Old Testament, it's just a shadow pointing forward to the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Become a Christian. Say, I will never get to heaven on my own, by my own labors. I have to trust Jesus. I have to say I'm going to stop, not my physical labors, but my spiritual attempts to be right with the Lord. I stop. Become a Christian. And that, in that sense, you keep the Sabbath every day. Every day of the week. Every day of your life. By trusting Jesus. Okay? The first way you keep the commandment. Number one, become a Christian. Two, stop working one day a week. Just because it was a shadow and in Jesus' fulfillment, I don't think he removes this creation ordinance, this sense of 
God has woven into the fabric of this planet. Work six days, take one off. Stop it. Trust God, yes, in Jesus, but trust him also by downing tools for 24 hours, once a week. Then, of course, there are lots of questions related to that. Which day? Doesn't matter. I don't think it matters. Of course, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath is Saturday. In the New Testament, it's probably Sunday, you'd say. Becomes the, uh, the Sabbath, probably. Um, but it doesn't matter. Just stop it. Stop work once a week. Uh, visited Dubai last year uh, to do some stuff with the church. Obviously, Dubai weekend is Friday, Saturday. The obvious day for church to meet is Friday because all the Muslims, uh, they're all off and stopping, and so most things stop on a Friday. So church happens on a Friday. Very sensible. But stop. Stop your paid work for 24 hours. Stop it. It's hard with the incessant pace of life. It's hard when you're a vicar, actually, um, and you, you know you're working Sunday. But uh, in very practical terms, every Friday night at 7 p.m., I turn off my email and WhatsApp. Uh, just turn them off. It's not hard. You go to your phone and go, notifications off. Takes about 15 seconds. That's because I'm slow. You do it in about six. Okay? Off. And then on Sunday morning at 7 a.m., I turn them on again when the holy alarm clock has gone. So it is. Now, let me tell you what happens if you followed something similar to that. What would happen is this. If you started that this weekend, uh, and you did that Friday night, say, uh, it's different for you because Sunday's, you know, just, you just whatever. But uh, for your 24-hour periods off, what would happen, first of all, you do that. You turn your notifications off, and then um, what you do is uh, the next morning you'd wake up and you'd pick up your phone and go, oh, no, I mustn't. Uh, and then you'd put it down again. And then, uh, an hour later you'd wander past and go, oh, no, I'm not meant to do that. Uh, and then you put it in your pocket, uh, and then you'd be waiting at a bus, and then I'm bored, and you get out and say, what do my emails say? Well, I've turned them off. I'm not going to do it. And that's what happens the first week, and the second week, you don't as much, and the third week, you don't as much. And after about five, six weeks, you don't bother at all, because it's just your Sabbath, and you don't do it. But you have to wean yourself uh, off, because we're all addicted. Just how it is. It's how we are today. Sabbath rest is, in part, physical. Remember, number one, you become a Christian. But there is a physical element to it. When the Old Testament gives examples of Sabbath breaking, it's always people doing work. It's not the fact they're failing to worship the Lord. It's they're just working. Of course, this throws up all sorts of questions. Here's some the most common ones. Question. Someone will ask. Uh, okay, take it down. Is it all right, though, if I take two afternoons off, like Tuesday and Thursday, and add them together, and that equals a day, two halves plus one equals a day, is that okay? No. No. Now, I couldn't actually really thoroughly prove that to you biblically, but uh, day kind of suggests a totality, and as soon as someone says, rather than having 24 hours off, can I have a morning here and maybe an afternoon there, you start to sound like a Pharisee. And it just doesn't sound great. It's just sort of that sort of, but I can't prove it to you. But I'm just going to dogmatically say, in my opinion, no. No, it seems to me 24 hours seems to be the pattern. Uh, question, um, what about stuff at home? 
is cooking work? Is housework work? Well, maybe, possibly. Sabbath rest is stopping work, not just switching activities, but then some things it's quite hard to, to put in. You kind of know what is work and what is rest, I think, for you. And it's quite hard to legislate on it. For some, per, for some people, gardening is a nice thing. <laughs> for others, duh, have you not read Genesis 3? They're thistles and thorns, duh. Um, uh, but for some people, gardening is a pleasure and is restful, and others it's laborious. For some people, cooking is a pleasure. For others, it is worse than that. It's thistles and thorns, thistle soup. And um, do they make, there is such a thing, isn't there? Disgusting. Um, unless you've made it and it's your speciality. Uh, it varies, doesn't it? And so some of those things, it's quite hard to let, you don't legislate, don't be a Pharisee, don't do that. Um, but you kind of know. If something is burdensome to you or, or, or restful, I think. Become a Christian, number one. Stop work one day a week for a 24-hour period, number two. And then these others are more applications in one sense or beyond that. Three, look forward to heaven. I think the Sabbath is meant to be Okay, a window in time through which we see the Lord and we look forward to eternal glories. It's a time to look forward to heaven. Of course, if, if you have no concept of God above you and this world is all there is, you, you, in, in, in that sense, you're purely materialist. There's just material stuff, nothing metaphysical. If you're a materialist in that sense, of course you work and you work and you work. And you accumulate and you gain stuff because this world is all there is. But the Christian is one who says this world is not all there is. And I will look forward to heaven. And that's always part of the purpose of a Sabbath day of rest is to look forward. Therefore, look, I can't, you can't say keep a Sabbath means come to church. It doesn't, it just doesn't mean that. But meeting up with other believers in the Lord is a sensible and obvious way of looking forward to heaven, looking forward to eternity. Former generations took it much more seriously. Puritans would refer to the Sabbath as the marketplace of the soul. Markets. Do anyone know what a market is anymore? Um, uh, not a supermarket. You know, you go to the market and you gather everything you need for the week. Not just time off, but you reorientate yourself with the Lord. It's a nice phrase. Six days a week we have to tame the world. One day to care for the seed of eternity placed in the soul. I'd love to say that was my sentence. It's someone else's. But I think there's some truth to that biblically. Six days we work and tame the world. One day we care for the seed of eternity placed in the soul. Become a Christian. One, stop work for 24 hours in a week. Three, look forward to heaven. Four, enjoy God's blessings. What, what do you do on a, on a Sabbath day? Well, again, ideally, it's great if you can coincide it with a day of going to church. That is the ideal. It doesn't work for everyone in, in shift patterns. Like but, um, but in one sense, certainly the Old Testament model will be, it is a day to celebrate, to enjoy. Enjoy good food. Enjoy time with family and friends. Breathe fresh air. Listen to music. Play sports. My favorite Sabbath activity, have a little nap. Not too long, and then you don't sleep at night. Just a little, oh, cheeky, cheeky 15 minutes in the afternoon. Oh, 
you know it's a good day if you can squeeze that in without the family and children going crazy, etc., etc. Um, that's good. Feel free to take that or not. That's not. Uh, that's just for um, my own thoughts. But as part of that, I would say it really isn't just work that exhausts us now. It is our consumption of information and consumption of media. And so just, again, this is moving slightly further away from the main applications of, of, of the Bible, but if your media consumption and your social media consumption is very high, and it probably is, well, then maybe the Sabbath is a good day to detox from that a little as well. It'll be good for your brain to, again, just take 20 seconds once a week to just turn off notifications on the dozen things that ping up most often. And think, actually, I'm not going to be interrupted relentlessly. I'm just going to go f- catch up with friends and we won't just gaze at our phones and be interrupted. We're just, our brains are going to flow a little less distractedly. And it is just healthy. It's good for you. In the modern world, I think we probably need a little rest in that way as well. So there's four practical things. Become a Christian. Stop work one day a week for 24 hours. Look forward to heaven. Enjoy God's blessings. I think those are practical ways you keep the Sabbath. So if in particular you are feeling spent, as the medics are now calling it, fundamentally you trust Jesus. Trust him for your salvation. Trust him in this life that you can down tools for 24 hours and the world goes on without you and your world doesn't collapse if you don't reply to people. Trust him. Trust Jesus and show that by stopping work and resting. Let me lead us in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you are our creator. You made us. And you know what is good for us. And Almighty God, you're you're not just creator. For those of us who follow Jesus, you're our Father and you love us. And you long for us to do what is good for us. So thank you for the wisdom of your word. We don't want to be uh, falling out over quite how best or how appropriately to take the Sabbath, but would we trust you for our future, put aside the labors of our hands for salvation, trust that in Jesus, he's done everything for us. And would we trust you practically, functionally, by putting down our tools and having a day when we do different things, when we look forward, we spend time with you, we remember we're not just made for this world, but for another. Father, thank you that in your goodness and kindness, you've made a world where there is rest, where we're meant to take rest. Would we do so? For our good, for your honor. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.